Hello and welcome to season four, episode six of Duelist Community. I'm not sure about anything, just just period. And I'm realizing more and more that there's still a lot of things that I settle upon. But as I'm even peeling those back, this reality is getting pretty fucking trippy. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. I think I've come to accept that with my old age, as it were, quote unquote, I understand at 43, I'm not necessarily old, but I'm certainly not young. And so I like to make the joke, but I really have no idea what's going on. Even the idea that I'm old is kind of funny in itself. It's all just concept. It's all just comparison. It's all ideas within a spectrum. But we really don't know. This is why I always kind of harp about the idea of being human. We think that means a certain thing, but it really doesn't. I mean, the limitations that go with that idea aren't really there necessarily. It depends on how we look at it. So it's very important to recognize that no matter what concept you settle on, it's only a half truth as at best. It's pointing at the truth. It may be the clearest that you've seen the truth, but it's not ever the truth. So with that, I have been curious about this. And so we were talking today. So, so far today, we've had a Twitch live stream. We've had Patreon tier one call. Highly recommend you get on those if you're enjoying this conversation because we do the tier one twice a week and it's five bucks a month. So you get eight calls for five bucks a month. Holy shit. There's a lot of value in that. And they're always a ton of fun. And something we were talking about was uncertainty and just how, you know, you never really know. And it's it's a common recognition or at least becoming more common that you don't know what's best for you you don't know what's to come you don't know what the future holds and becoming okay with that coming to terms with that uncertainty can be very beneficial because it's always been uncertain and it's you know our settling upon an answer or the certainty that comes with that that creates distortion and suffering and expectations and you know there's a whole host of things that come with that settling upon an answer. And so we talk about that plenty, but I've been digging into that a little bit more recently. And even just in between, you know, our last call, we had about an hour. And first, first I was sitting on my toilet and I was looking out into the, into the bathroom and I was like, none of this is actually still. And even the answer that I settle upon that this whole entire reality is still and not, you know, moving around, not vibrating to a degree is an answer that I've settled upon. And as I started to say that, all of a sudden the whole room kind of started moving back and forth, kind of like when I'm on a very high dose of mushrooms. And it just became clear to me that that's just an answer, albeit a more convenient, you know, quote unquote answer to settle upon, but it's not the reality of it. It's just something that I sort of tell myself along the way. And then I was walking my dog after that. I was like, I have this assumption that the ground is below me. The ground is underneath my feet. But, you know, even just looking at a globe, you know, the way that is, I'm in North America. So I'm kind of like walking on the side of the globe. And then the entire galaxy solar system is moving at, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles per hour at all times. And we have this assumption that it's still and we're stagnant and in place. And yes, it does make this experience easier to digest because 
if we didn't have that experience of some semblance of stillness or the idea that the ground is below me and gravity and all that stuff, then things would just be all over the place. But it doesn't mean that that's the truth of it. And so I was thinking about that and I was, you know, we're, we're going to have a guest on today. It got postponed to next week. So I was like, all right, so let's, uh, we can, we can maybe get a little bit deeper today because it's just us and we've been enjoying doing that recently. So I'm curious, Ray, how, how little do you settle upon answers and this depth to which I'm just sort of recognizing, even just within the last couple of hours, how many things I settle upon that aren't actually the reality. I'm curious what your reality is like and the depth to which you don't necessarily settle upon an answer in in ways that most people don't even think it's a question anymore. Yeah, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm not even sure there's an eye that can know what's going on at the end of the day. I, I've said this in previous episodes for sure that for me, this is very close to a dream at this point. I don't believe that it's physical reality in the way that we typically perceive it. Not that it's not physical reality the way that we're describing it, but that it's not solely physical reality. Like what you were describing there about changing your perception of what you're experiencing. That's something that's available to us all the time, but we live in a perception that's very much dependent on the physical perception of our body and the five senses that we use to interpret reality, right? But the more we focus on those, the more real they become, right? Like the more you, you focus on what you're smelling, the richer that smell becomes. The more you focus on what you're seeing, the clearer it becomes or the more detailed it becomes. So, we always think of it that way, but when you start thinking, right, but maybe my eyes aren't interpreting what I think they're interpreting. Maybe my brain is seeing, is only interpreting it that way because I'm perceiving it that way. And you start to think, well, maybe it's moving, which it is, which we know scientifically, everything is vibration. Everything is energy moving. We know that. We know that. We know that most of physical reality, quote unquote, is 99.99% empty space. It's just vibrating, which gives it the impression of being material, right? So we know that, right? But we don't take that in. Brian Cox uh, was talking about this. I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, but this is how messed up it is when you really start looking at what reality is, for example. So let's say you, you had an apple and you dropped that apple and it fell to the ground in one second, right? So you see the apple going from one place to the other place in one second. So it's only moved that much, right? But the earth itself has moved about 18 miles in that one second. So the apple has actually moved 18 miles in that one second, or has it? Because to you, it hasn't. To you, it's only moved that small amount of space. So which one's the truth? And it comes down to your perception. It comes down to where you're looking at it from. So there is no actual uniform truth. This is what's so mind boggling about the experience of time, right? The experience of time is relative, which means that we're all experiencing time 
differently. So even our perception of time being this linear set thing isn't the truth. Our days aren't 24 hours, right? And each day is a different duration, but we never, we never keep that in mind because it's uncomfortable. So for me, I don't really settle on anything anymore at all. Like your question, how do I know the ground is beneath me? You don't because it's not. Because again, the earth is spinning through space, which doesn't have an up or a down. Like we think we're in the Northern hemisphere, but that doesn't actually mean anything in space. So these are all just convenient ways to try and summarize our experience so we don't have to feel so awestruck all the time, which is kind of a shame. I agree. I think it is a shame to a degree. And it's uh, that one that one trips me out. That there's no up and down in space like and even just imagining it now, like I'm imagining the Earth and then, you know, there's space above space below. But that perspective that i'm viewing it from is only based on the idea that i have an up or a down and that i believe that you know my forehead is above my eyes and the rest of my body is below my eyes but can just as easily be right now sitting on the ceiling and my forehead is below my below my eyes and my mouth is above my eyes and there's nothing like and it's like there's a there's a balance with this kind of like the idea of yourself right it's not about killing your ego or letting go completely of your ego it's just not taking it so seriously and it's the same for this conversation but i think even the fact that we're just discussing this now after what 110 episodes like i haven't really brought up any thoughts like this and meanwhile the whole time ray's been like i don't settle on anything i don't settle on anything and now it's like starting to hit me like Oh, so that's kind of what you mean. Like, there's still a lot of things that I'm settling upon, but it's again, it's not to say that settling upon them is wrong and not settling upon them is right. It's just that we, it can be healthy to dig into this from time to time and recognize that what you're settling upon, even the idea that the ground is below you and not above you, is an assumption. And with that, Although that's like a deeper, you know, questioning maybe than your idea of yourself even, or, or a different type of questioning, I guess something that's less common, I'll leave it at that. Um, it can allow you to recognize that all the other assumptions that you have about yourself and the way things are and the way other people are also are never the truth. And I guess, so I guess there's sort of a, a depth to that and and even just recognizing this this conversation that we're having now makes it easier to recognize that all of those other assumptions are never the truth and how many assumptions we make day to day like the idea that you know this decision is what's best for the rest of my life is the right thing for me to do it's like you can't even if you if you can recognize that you don't even know if your forehead is above or below your eyes, like it's going to make it a lot easier to recognize that you don't actually know what's best for you. And just continuing on, despite it not needing to judge it along the way, can allow for 
a lot of freedom and can allow for actual freedom when you recognize that there are no right answers. There is no right way to do anything because that cuts off your freedom. You can't have full freedom and believe that there's a right and a wrong way to do things. No, that's the thing is that freedom is oddly enough, not knowing. It's uncertainty. That's, that's the whole thing about potential, but that's the point of not settling on things is so you can ask questions for the sake of seeing things from a different angle alone. This is why uh, I was saying this in a previous podcast episode about my daughter Celeste when she was growing up and all of a sudden one day she's like so are we in the earth or on it and it just caught me off guard because that's a great question and not one that we can really answer right we can even look at it as we are it right so there's so much depth just in that but who asks that question do we ever take the time to ask something as simple as that no, we don't. And why don't we? Well, because we got work to do. Got things we got to take care of. Job, bills, family, obligations, expectations, things that make me uh, more important or less important, things that I have to keep up with. There's so much to think about that we don't have time to just be awestruck by existence because it's awe-inspiring. And that's really it. We've talked about this numerous times. It's just that we we get so caught up in in the narrative and the narrative is always going somewhere and so tunnel vision becomes part of it as soon as we're caught up in this idea of ourself in this narrative of who we are and our timeline or our lifetime and our lifetime we stop seeing everything else all we can see is our character all we can see is our narrative it's in letting go of that, that we end up back in that uncertainty. We end up back in that potential, but in that uncertainty and, and, and in that potential is the capacity to look at things anew. And that's where we have insights. And that's where we recognize that the idea is not the same as the thing. And we have lost that. We have lost that one very basic understanding. And you'll notice that that's, that's the misunderstanding that's creating most of our chaos and most of our conflict right now in society is this idea that our idea of ourself is the truth of what we are whether you are european american white black upper class middle class blue collar white collar these are all definitions christian muslim these are all ideas and as soon as you hold on to them they separate you from everybody else who doesn't identify with that so it's important to be able to use these concepts, like you were saying earlier, is the ground underneath me? Yeah, you know, for all intents and purposes, sure. It's easier just to recognize, yeah, rather than to go around saying, did you know that the ground's not really underneath us? And people look at you and put you in a rubber room. And it's because they don't want to ask those questions, right? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be out there asking some questions. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be out there, at least with the willingness to look beyond the assumption. Recognize the convenience, sure. Recognize the convenience, but to not also recognize the danger is where we fall into trouble. The biggest concept being God. Yeah, and so I, I mean, even this process of questioning certain things, like there's so much depth to any question, even, you know, is the ground 
above or below me? Are my eyes at the top of my body or the bottom of my body? Like those types of things. There's so much fascination that can go along with such basic little things. And there's so many other things going on, like in reality that we're just, we can't settle. Well, we can't, we try to settle upon, but we can't actually reasonably settle upon in the way that it's it's actually an answer. And so it makes me wonder because all of these things that we're struggling through and suffering through and this idea of us, you know, that we have to build and maintain and, and defend at all times. When we start to ask questions like, is my mind inside or outside of my head? You know, things like that, that just throw you for a loop immediately. It's like, there's a lot there. Let's, let's talk about it because through that conversation, you may recognize that there isn't so much of an idea that you have to defend and try and build and fear being diminished. Because when you recognize that your mind is just as much outside as inside of your head, and therefore there is no inside or outside, which can trip you out pretty good when you start thinking about it a little more, you may recognize that it's all you through that. And so there isn't so much need for all the things that create our own mental anguish and suffering. And so it it just makes me wonder as much as before I was saying that, you know, this is fun to do from time to time, and I would definitely recommend people do it. This process could get people to recognize that a lot of the things they're suffering through psychologically aren't necessary. It's like through these conversations, you come out the other end, like, holy shit, I was holding on to a bunch of shit because I was caught up in so many illusions that I was settling upon and believing to be the truth. And so it's it's not settling upon them that creates kind of a fun in and of itself. And then you don't feel so much a need. You may recognize that all of the things you've been holding on to, you don't have to hold on to. And not to say that that's what it's all about, but I think we've settled upon a lot of things that aren't what it's all about, that are further from what it's all about. You know, our societal blueprint of getting pushed through school, job, retirement, death. Like it's such a shallow settling for this, the potential of this reality, for the potential of this existence to just settle upon that and be cool with it. I mean, if you're actually cool with it, cool. But most of the people I know in that aren't aren't so cool with it, but they just don't know any other way to live. It actually got me thinking that perhaps the reemergence or, or the growth of this conversation with enthusiasm, as you were saying, but for the sake of having a conversation, for the sake of being uncertain and turning over stones, as it were, is actually a necessary part of the pendulum swinging in and out of balance, right? Like if you look at the dark ages, for example, things were really bad, but we were super certain, right? Look at ancient Greece, uh, Socrates and, and his Aspen Grove, right? Like his whole thing was, we don't really know anything. Like he was just trying to get to that point, but look at where he was getting to that point amongst friends drinking wine chilling out having a fun conversation that was the entire point of what they were doing 
right? Philosophizing, as it were. <laughs> but but that was it, is that it left a ripple. Well, why? Because it's important. It's important that we recognize this. And I think that it's so important that without this conversation being, a, I guess, a practiced part of our society or a practiced part of our day-to-day -day life, everything falls apart. Because as soon as we start getting lost in concepts, that's when we lose our path. That's when we lose our balance. And we don't even recognize that we're losing our balance because we're not in reality anymore. So we can actually hide inside this pleasant fiction while everything around us burns. And we won't even see it. And that's often what happens. And so I think that, isn't that interesting? It's really not even about tackling climate change. It's not about tackling government corruption. It's not about tackling capitalism. It's not about tackling any of that stuff. It's not about tackling those problems. Those problems are the result of certainty. Those problems are the result of our need for certainty, our need for control. So just this conversation in itself will eventually unravel those things as long as it just keeps growing. And it keeps growing because we're enthusiastic about it, not because we're trying to unravel those things. That won't work. We can't do this to change the world. We can't do this to save anyone because in that we're no longer doing it for its own purpose. We've now locked ourselves back into tunnel vision and we're not expressing our potential again. It really is an act of faith. Yeah, and it really comes down to, at the end of the day, tackling your assumptions. But this mentality of recognizing the product of a mentality and the shifting of that product of that mentality can't come from trying to shift the product. It has to come from shifting the mentality is something that the egotistical mindset cannot comprehend. It needs a problem solution, kind of direct line to, oh, if I do this, I get this. If I do this, this is the outcome. If I do this, this is the thing that happens. But this entire conversation is about the letting go of that needing to happen and the recognition that it's not about going out and forcing capitalism to change or communism to change or any sort of identity-based mentality to change. It's about letting go of the need for it to change while you're questioning your assumptions of what you believe to be true. And it really, I think, just comes back to questioning your assumptions. Like we've just settled upon so many answers that aren't actual answers. And we're like trying to force them to be true. So we keep holding on to them. And we've just gotten some semblance of comfort through them through settling upon something that isn't actually an answer, but we just think it is. So it has to be through a questioning of our assumptions. And it starts with, you know, just very basic ones about the way you think. I mean, it all comes down to the way you think reality is, which includes you and everything else and every, every experience that you have. And I think there's more commonly questioned things and less commonly questioned things, but just, it's just about the process of doing so that will eventually lead to an environment, to a society that all of these things that we've settled upon just don't make sense because they're they're just the things we've gotten comfortable with, but they're not even the closest answer we could settle upon to the reality of it, which isn't an answer, but I think the answers we've settled upon are 
are about as far as we can get from the reality of what's actually potentially happening, which, as we've said, I have no fucking idea what that actually is. <laughs> because you can't, right? Like, we're actually saying the mentality that will change all this is the mentality that's not trying to. Right. So even trying to get to a different mentality is still egotistical. So you're actually contradicting everything we're talking about in the act of letting go, which is the point, right? That's why it's so hard to wrap your mind around this. But going back to assumptions, they're always based on the fact that we have assumptions about ourselves, always, right? And the more we need to rely on those assumptions about ourselves, the more we rely on flimsier and flimsier assumptions of other people. And you hear it all the time now in terms of like political conversations or even religious conversations where one religion will judge another religion just based on the fact that they're different, right? Like if you were to tell uh, a Catholic, oh, you know, that, that, that person over there is, is Muslim, they'd have a judgment often, not all the time, for sure, right? Or uh, you have somebody who's on the right wing of the, of the political spectrum, they'll just judge somebody as being left wing and think that means everything about them. When in fact, there's probably more similarities than differences if they were to sit down and actually have a talk and stop identifying as right or left, right? But we do this all the time. We're just like slap a label on it. Now I know what it is and I don't feel so uncertain. But every time we do that, we're doing so, so we know what we are. By comparison to that thing, that's why vilification is so common, right? Is if I want, if I make somebody the villain, by contrast, that makes me the hero. That's why it's so tempting to do, to make people into evil beings, because by contrast, it makes you good. And that feels great, right? That feels great, but there's so much danger in it. Right? So it's recognizing why you assume. And it always comes back to false certainty. It always comes back to your idea of yourself, which is also false certainty. Yeah, it's fascinating that uh, idea of comparison and just how often we do it without even recognizing what we're doing. And just how, I don't know, when you, when you see it a little bit more clearly, it just, it's so obvious how much of it is stemming from insecurity. Like all of it, all of the judgments that you place upon someone else is to allow yourself to feel more secure in the illusion that you settled upon about yourself and the illusion you've settled upon about them, which allows you to judge another iteration of yourself that you're not recognizing is another iteration of yourself. And so going back to the mentality bit, it's funny because it's like it basically comes down to a, a mentality that isn't trying, like dot, 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 trying to get somewhere, et cetera. But when you just say it like that, it has to be a mentality that doesn't try. Immediately, the ego's like, what a fucking lazy sack of shit. It's like, pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go to work, you know, grind, grind, be something for society. And it's like that entire mentality, like it's been able to infiltrate it from the other end of things where it's like, if you're not trying to be something, like if you're doing something without an end game in mind, without a set goal, it's like you're automatically lazy. 
And so even, even us, like with dualistic unity, we don't have any set goals because we're not going to put a limitation on this. We have, you know, aspirations, writing a book, getting a billboard in Times Square, all that stuff. But we're not settling upon that as like, once we've done that, we've made it. Oh, we've accomplished it. We are now a success when it says you are God in Times Square on a big fucking billboard. It's like, no, because why would we limit ourselves like that? Who's to say it's it's a step on the path. It's a, it's a way to express the recognitions that are available to anyone. But even just when I talk to people about dualistic unity, they're like, you know, what's, what's the end game with all of this? I don't know. Everyone recognizing their God, but you can't do that through convincing them because even just me saying this to you right now, all of a sudden you're kind of uncomfortable, right? So even, even that as a, as a goal is it just doesn't make sense. And when you see things more and more clearly, the goals just don't become nearly as important because when you really start seeing things clearly, it's like you're eternal. What, what goal is there to reach that'll make you any more than being everything always like settling up on a goal, thinking that's a measurement of success is so limited and so small relative to eternal infiniteness you can't you can't put anything on that thinking that it's gonna make you more just that mentality doesn't make sense anymore and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about originally in terms of how uncertain am i i'm so uncertain i don't think i can be in control and Every time I've assumed that I can be in control, I've watched the merry hell that I've created for myself as a, as a result. And it's always because that mentality of control goes with the perception of separation. And so I'm at a point now where I'm just glad to be of service. And I mean that wholeheartedly, like dualistic unity, sure, we, we are working towards creating it, sustaining it, perpetuating it, and encouraging it. But it's the community that's making it. It's the community that's informing it. It's ultimately the community that I will go on serving for as long as they'll have me. For as long as this discussion is growing, I will do everything I can for it. And there's no real reason other than I think the conversation is important. It's fun. I enjoy having it. And I enjoy the look on other people's faces when they feel less weight, when they feel free, when they have one of those <gasps> aha moments where they're like, shit, I'm making it hard on myself. I love those moments. I love them. And I love when people have them. That's it. That's really the only reason. So it's being of service to myself in all of my other forms. But it's so funny because that mentality, people be like, oh, that's that's super selfless. It, it, kind of in that I'm not thinking about myself. Sure. And accepting that it's all me. Sure. Right. But it's not that I'm trying to be kind to other people by any means. I just don't think I'm in control. I just don't think I'm separate. And so the only alternative is to let go. And if you let go and you're free and your cup is full, there's nothing but extra for everyone else. And so you're just there to offer it gladly and in service. I'd rather serve in heaven than reign in hell.
Yeah, it's it's very much selfless to the idea of me. But in this perspective shift, like our our societies run upon the settling upon the assumption that we are inherently divided, that I am what I think I am, separate from reality. What do you mean I'm reality? What 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 are you talking about? That's crazy talk. It's like it's actually, and I I don't like going this route, but sometimes I just get I don't know. I do still get frustrated and annoyed by people. And and I I so I'll say sometimes like it is painfully obvious when you let go of the idea of yourself. Like it's not that hard. It's really not that hard to get. It's just that limited idea of yourself. You're not what you think you are. Question that. And it becomes pretty fucking obvious. Like you're laughing at me for saying that I'm just reality wandering around. I'm you. And it's like, oh, you're me. <laughs> it's like, oh, bro, <laughs> like it's not that hard. It's really not. But it's that little idea of yourself that gets in the way of it. It really is. But as that shifts, as you let that go, and it's not to say that just recognizing that you're not you're not what you think you are immediately you see yourself in everyone like there's a process there too and that's basically been all of dualist community for me like from the very beginning when i was like what do you mean you're me like that was one of the first questions i asked ray and it was like you know i'm i'm waving my hand you're not waving andrew's hand like oddly enough i just did and i was like Ah, hmm, interesting. I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna keep chewing on it and you know, try out some mushrooms and maybe that'll help with uh with some with some clarity there. But when that shifts to recognizing yourself and everyone and starting to see just as equally this idea, this body that you always think thought you were is just as equally you as you know the the trees down the street and your neighbors, priorities start to shift and it's no longer about accomplishing goals that you set because most of them are very individualized and even if they're not individualized to you they're individualized to your opinion to your preference of what you think is best for reality and that is very much reinforcing the illusion of you the perception of division that you aren't also everyone else in order to actually begin to recognize that you have to let go of the way you think is best, you know, the right way to live, the right way to achieve success. It's like even that is uncertain. I don't know what the fuck success means to dualist community. We're making a podcast right now and some people are going to be listening to it at some point this week. So that's cool. I don't know. Is that not enough for you? Like that's that sounds successful. So like it it doesn't have to be this grand idea of like I want a million listeners or something. It's like you're discounting the first thousand that you got. And and even, you know, even beyond that, that's a very limited idea of just like even goal setting. But yeah, the perspective as the perspective shifts, so do the priorities. And it it becomes obvious the shift in priorities when you begin to experience more and more freedom in yourself for the sake of just experiencing freedom in yourself here and now. When you're always free, there's no reason to settle upon needs and desires for what you want to become because you're already free. What do you mean become something? What, imprison yourself again? You're free. Just go do some stuff for the sake of doing it. Exactly. Which is something that we were talking about today uh, 
on the Patreon call, we were talking about how often spiritual teachers will get to this point where they become rich and famous. And all of a sudden, all of the altruism that was coming across and all of their messaging about how we're all one and care for your neighbor and so on and so forth ends up being a $6,000 price tag on a four-day retreat. And thinking about that, you're just... And again, I know from organizing retreats and events in the past, there's a big markup on a $6,000 price tag on a four-day anything. So I'm just saying there's a lot of profit there. Why is there a lot of profit there? Because specifically for spiritual teachers, especially who have become famous, they're already making money. There's residuals off of book sales, off of seminars, off of DVDs, off of DVDs goes to show you how old I am, off of streaming releases. There are other forms of, of making income for sure. So at what point can the excess go back to the people that we're apparently all a part of? But there gets to this point where it's like, well, but I'm comfortable. This, this is feeling really good. They'll be fine. I'm giving them enough. They have the books and the seminars. If they can afford the tickets, great. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can see where the ripple has suddenly hit a wall. You can see where the ripple has suddenly found its limit. And that limit is on the comfort of the speaker. That limit is on the ego of the quote-unquote teacher. Because alternatively, you can just distribute the excess. And I don't mean give it to people, but put it into things that help people. Put it into things that change the environment. Because that's the point of service. That's exactly what we're trying to get at through all of this. It's just like the retreat. Andrew and I held the first dualistic unity retreat in November. And at that retreat, we had no plan for anybody who went to the retreat. We weren't trying to get them somewhere. We were aware that they were already on a journey and we were trying to facilitate an environment that made that journey as easy as possible. That was it. That's the same thing we're doing with dualistic unity. We are aware that you are on a journey, you, reality. We are aware that you are changing, but the environment is making it very difficult to do that. So we're changing the environment through changing the conversation. And in changing the conversation, we're changing our priorities. And in changing our priorities, we're changing our focus. And with a little less selfishness, it's a little easier to understand selflessness. So we're not trying to get anywhere. We're not trying to get the world anywhere. But we are the environment. And we're changing. Amen. That was, that was beautifully said. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to. Like, it's so funny. Everyone always thinks that they have to do something active and, and, you know, even with a one-on-one -on -one client, you think you have to change them. You have to help them. And it's really about letting go of your desire for anything to happen so that they can recognize that letting go of a desire for something to happen is a possibility is an actual way that you can exist. So all we're ever doing is being an example for ourselves to recognize that freedom from our assumptions, from our judgments, from our idea that we have to become something is a possibility. And in an environment where people are recognizing that, in an environment where it's safe 
to recognize that and everyone around you is recognizing it to some degree can realize, oh, maybe I can recognize that too, but it's not anything that we're doing. We're not doing anything. We're just having a conversation. That's all it is. Like, what's up? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and so even to think that with anything we say, like on this episode, we've gotten relatively deep into things and questioning things and whatnot. And if you resonate with any of this, it's not on us. It's a two-way street. Everything. Communication is always a two-way street. There's going to be people who listen to this episode who don't have any idea what the fuck we're talking about. doesn't make any sense to them whatsoever. And that's okay. But there's going to be a number of you that it does make sense to. So it's not on us. If some people understand it and some people don't, it doesn't have so much to do with us as it does with you. So all this ever is, is creating an environment for people to recognize that they can be free in themselves, that they don't have to cling to all of those things that we always thought we had to cling to, to avoid the recognition that we're God, that you're God, that it's all you. It's always has been and it always will be. And all the things that we cling to are really to avoid that recognition. And so creating an environment where people can recognize that, oh, they, they can let go of those assumptions. They don't have to judge themselves relative to everything else. They don't have to exist in a world of comparison at all times. Boom, some insights arise within them because they stop masking them and covering them up and veiling them with their opinions and perceptions. All it is is a recognition that there is a different way to live. And through that, you'll have your own insights. But, you know, as we say so often, don't cling to any of our insights. We're just out here talking, having a conversation. That's really it. Yeah, if anything, next season, I hope we look back and go, there was so much more. We could have kept going. Because as deep as we might go into this conversation, there's always more. There's always more, which is why the conversation itself isn't the important part. It's important because it's an expression of how you're working through things, sure. But if you don't apply it, it doesn't mean anything. It just becomes another philosophy. It just becomes another concept. It just becomes another way for you to validate yourself by judging others and comparing them to what you think you understand, right? And that's really important is that this is not supposed to be giving you any sense of value. It's just supposed to help you feel free, which you've always had the ability to feel. It's definitely not on us, but it's interesting that we actually kind of run from freedom, don't we? We run from the experience of, of limitless potential and we run from connection with others because of our self-image, largely. We don't think we deserve freedom. We don't think we're able to, to tolerate or, or deal with freedom. We don't think that we can connect with others. Like we've had such a traumatic past collectively that it makes it very hard for us to look to the rest of us openly and vulnerably, right? So it's really interesting, but you were saying earlier that, you know, communication goes two ways and I was having a little internal chuckle about that because of course there are no two people. But it's interesting because it's communication in the same way that synapse communicate, right? Either they're close enough to connect or they're not. Right. And so that's kind of the thing is that we are all synapse in one large mind and we're processing a change of mind. We're processing growth, but not all synapse 
are resonating in the same region or thinking about the same thing. Some of them are still dwelling on habitual loops. Some of them are still firing on old programming, as it were. And so it's the rest of us breaking free of that, connecting in new ways that are creating kind of the scaffolding for the rest of those synapses to break free and start connecting in new ways. So we call it communication, but it really is just the growth of us, you, the individual on a larger scale. If you were to look at this in any way, it would be like you're peering in closely on a conversation between a few of your cells. That's what's happening here. The entirety of the earth is you, God, staring very closely at a conversation of a group of yourselves. And you're so involved that you've actually started thinking that you're one of the cells. Oh boy. Now you got me, now you got me wondering, am I a part of the conversation? Am I observing the conversation? Am I in the conversation? Am I outside yes. of the conversation? <laughs> All of it, both, neither, the whole thing. But yeah, when uh, when you start to see things as all you, <laughs> things start to get very, very trippy and very interesting. And it completely, like, as we've been saying, it completely shifts your priority. But even, you know, the entire illusion that this entire current state with when, with, in which we exist within kind of comes crumbling down. Like all of the things that we thought we had to do to become something all of a sudden don't seem as important, but really you just end up being where you're at kind of in awe of everything all the time in awe of yourself. Like, Holy shit. I can, I can move around. I can interact with someone and say something and, say something to a group of seven people and all seven people are going to perceive it differently. Holy shit. That's fascinating. Oh my God. I it's the same sounds are coming out of my mouth and yet it's being perceived. You know, a lot of people are going to listen to this episode and, and they're every single sound that we make, every word that we say, every sentence we put together somehow, some way, shape or form are going to be perceived differently by everyone listens to it like that in itself is fucking insane and yet we get so caught up in oh i gotta i gotta get this i gotta get to that i gotta be seen in this way or else you know i won't have value it's like being enthralled and so intrigued in the recognition that everyone's going to perceive everything you say differently even in that all of a sudden you recognize the futility in trying to be seen in any way, shape, or form, because literally everyone who sees you is going to see you differently, all based on them. So is how you're seen even at all based on you whatsoever? No, it's all based on the perceiver. They create the perceived. And it makes me wonder too, going, I don't know, I guess deeper into this with the idea of God and like the creation story, like how much of this right now is just being created in every single moment by me or by my mind as it goes? It really makes me wonder 
like if none of this is really real in the way that I think it is like, and we settle upon this, Oh, you're not God. Cause you didn't create everything. Like who's to say that I'm not creating everything right now. I'll say you're not creating everything right now. Absolutely. And here's why, because there's no you to create anything. Right. And it's because everything exists all at once in the here and now. So it's not necessarily that you're creating everything that happens moment to moment. So much as just shifting directions through moments. They always exist. The moment you lift your right hand and your left hand both exist right now. The question is, which one are you going to pick? Which direction are you going to go in? In terms of variation, see, you went with the, the third option and there are a lot others, right? But they all exist. And that's the point. They all exist. It's not that they're created. It's just that you're moving through them. That's the beauty of our dualistic experience of time. There's a before and an after. And, and because of that, they seem to connect because they have to in order for us to make sense of it, right? Which is why a carrot starts as a baby carrot and grows into a big carrot instead of the other way, right? All, the whole spectrum exists at once, but we view it through a linear experience, right? And so that's what we're doing is we're just moving through the multiverse pretty much all the time, each and every moment, not each and every minute, not each and every second, each and every moment. And you can't measure that. So you are the multiverse. Oh, shit. Uh, so understanding that, that all moments exist simultaneously, the infinite potential of everything that could be does here and now, and we only perceive, you know, a timeline through that or a before and an after. When you really recognize that, that right now, everything I could possibly do, every way that I could possibly look exists here now, everything just kind of goes like, like a gradient, but it's not even a gradient because that implies that there are stagnant things, you know, gradient would be like, Oh, my face started to get more and more blurry until it just kind of blended in. And then there was like this, this sort of gradient face with like a slightly different colored body look because my sweatshirt and my skin aren't the same color. But if all of them exist here now, then it, and you take that all the way, then it just goes into nothing slash everything. So it really is like everything is just our perception. Even the, the feeling of tapping my finger on my face is just a perception of the potential that could be. Fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> Everything is a variation of the relationship between the observer and the observed. That's reality. All of reality is all variations of what could potentially be the observer versus the observed all reality. And that's why awareness goes from DNA upwards through numerous different forms, all different forms across time and space, right? Because they all must exist somewhere. And what you and I call time and space is just kind of how we sort out where everything is stored. 
that's pretty much it. It's like, oh, there's no room for that variation in this universe. Oh, another universe, there's room there, right? And that's it, is that all of the multiverse is basically the infinite of what could possibly be. Every reality exists to itself. Every universe is real to itself. But in reality, none of them exists in space and time, which is why that episode we did on the, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize earlier this year was about the non-local universe. It doesn't exist anywhere. Uh, yeah, nowhere, now, here, same, same, paradox. Yeah, uh, man. That, even that, uh, that last statement, <laughs> doesn't exist anywhere. Like, Oh man, it it really does get very dreamlike when you start seeing things like this that we're not in a location right now. I'm not in a location right now. And just add a little bit to it. Let's just say that your that your awareness, your mind is so limitless that it can create a dream so detailed it includes details about a brain that's having the dream uh yeah i mean in an unlimited mind capacity it could theoretically create a mind within that that's perceiving its own mind believing that it isn't the mind which is why our synapse looks a lot like the universe the connections in, in our brain are very much like the universe you can actually compare a map like a, a graphic of the universe to a graphic of the synapses in our brain and they're very very similar and it's because they're they're almost limitless like there's billions and billions of connections in our brain in the same way there are billions and billions of stars right like and it's because we are an expression of the limitlessness of awareness as is the physical universe so you're starting to see overlap, right? As above, so below. Yeah. And so that division that we perceive is just a, a reflection of itself, like another what if reflection. The stars you're looking up at are the synapses in your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got no answer to that, dude. <laughs> It, it just goes like it's that paradox, the hand reaching into the box that is reaching into the the environment that you're in, thinking you're not in a box, but it's the box that you're reaching into. It's not a box because it's unlimited. And that, even just that, unlimited, no walls, no barriers, no bounds. Like, even that is tough one to, to comp really comprehend. Like you can start to think about limitlessness of space, but yeah, you can't, you just keep going. And then, and then you're staring into the abyss. You're staring into the void. It's like, okay, that's great. But eventually, you know, the, and you do it too. Cause if you're doing it, you're doing it from a mentality of limitations, like this, this perception, this reality we perceive limitations to ourselves, to our environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we go into, if we do, you know, go deep into 
staring into the void or the abyss. We go into it and we're staring at it thinking we're going to we're going to meet the edge at some point, even if we're not actively thinking of it. We keep staring into it, thinking like, see how far this goes. It's like it doesn't fucking end. There is no how far it goes. It's just goes. That's that's it. It's not how far it keeps keeps on going. <laughs> doesn't stop. So it's like that's fine to to recognize, but there's no end to that. You know, you can sit in that for as as much eternity as anything else you could possibly do. So is that really what how you want to spend that time? I don't know. I guess that's up to you at the end of the day. I got to tell you, man, I love the fact that you have connected the reality that what you're peering at when you look inside your awareness is essentially everything that could possibly exist. So you can never find the end of you. There's no end to your imagination. There's just a, an end to your willingness to explore it. Right. So I find that really funny how you compare staring into the abyss with staring at everything that could possibly be ever because that is your awareness. Everything that could possibly be ever is just expressed in different forms because each and every form must have the experience of just being itself, right? The question is, this is something that gets me, out of all the forms, there must be variations that move beyond their own form, that even change the nature of their own form. There must be variations. All variations exist this is why the Jesus story gets me, right? And I don't even think that he was like the pinnacle of that story at all. I think he was just pointing the way, as he said. So what's possible there? And again, you were asking, how uncertain am I? I'm uncertain about everything, everything, including my existence as a whole. I don't know what this story is. It's funny because you can easily get into the conversation. It's like, ah, I was born on this year, this day, and I've lived this long. Yeah, that's possible. It's also possible that you're a deity trying to avoid the reality that you are powerful and alone. And you've created a really convincing story to avoid that. And the entirety of this is just you coming to terms with it. That is also possible. And all of us wouldn't know. That's the worst part about it. We'd be playing along because we're you. So there's really nobody to ask, is there? No. And I think that uh, the latter is becoming more and more of a possibility. And who's to say otherwise? They're, they're equally as possible. And yet, because we've settled upon so many assumptions, we see one is crazy and one is not. But everything is just as crazy as anything else. Sometimes more so. I mean, you think about it, we're talking about the difference between a unifying perspective versus the common perspective, which is driving us insane. Yeah, mass state of psychosis that we've all settled upon because we're trying to avoid psychosis or freedom or uncertainty or whatever that we've actually been able to collectively convince ourselves that settling upon something that is an illusion is less crazy than continuing to question it. That's interesting. Well said. 
fucking a. But yeah, I mean the 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 deity perspective that it's all you and always has been, and we're doing everything we can to avoid the recognition that I've always been alone. That's starting to make a lot more sense that everything we do, everything here in such incredible detail, so fucking believable that it would make sense that the perspective that a limitless being, which I don't even like the word being, a limitless, limitlessness <laughs> would create the perception of limitations in order to avoid that recognition of limitlessness, of the vastness of itself, of the eternal, infinite nature of itself, and do a pretty damn good job of convincing itself otherwise. To actually convince itself that something else kicked it out of the garden. That's a trick for sure, but it's the only way that you could do it, isn't it? It's the only way that God could fool itself is to convince itself it's not, right? And that's all these variations are, is just the path away and back towards, right? And the question is, do we get it after the physical kicks the bucket or can we get it before then? And that's the real question, right? That's what they're talking about in terms of ego death. That's Christ's whole resurrection gig, right? Is, are we just the body? in the way that we currently perceive it, right? But it's really interesting because just the fact that we don't want to be alone, just the fact that we don't want to be responsible creates so much hell for us. And it's so very interesting to watch. So I was listening to uh, a video with Jordan Peterson recently, and I'm gonna bring this up because I sent it to you via text because I wanted you to see this. And it was really interesting because Jordan Peterson has a lot of really coherent points. He's, he does think about what he wants to say more often than not. And he's very well-spoken. And I've enjoyed a lot of his videos. But he is Christian. And he does have a very specific perception of God. And it is very much based on his perception of himself. Absolutely. Because there, again, with Peterson, is this need to compare, this need to judge, this need to categorize people into different groups, right? He's unfortunately vilified by a large portion of society because he pits himself against them so there's that but by necessity he sees god as separate and he was making a speech and i thought this was really interesting because he's saying you know what's god and he was saying like you know god is that which calls you to make the appropriate sacrifices and then calls you on it if you don't um and then uh you can't escape that or you're gonna end up in hell uh and then he says, and if you don't believe in hell, then you don't know anything, which I thought was really interesting. But then he goes on to say, you know, uh, that God is the spirit that calls the wise to prepare. And so in both of these, these senses, he's like, God is what calls us to make sacrifice. God is what calls us to make preparations. There's no responsibility there. Even when he says God is what is the spirit that calls the wise to make preparations and the wise listen. There's no responsibility there either. It's like, no, the wise are making preparations. They're not listening to anything outside of themselves. They're making preparations because they're wise. It's not about 
suddenly they could hear the voice of God. Suddenly they stopped listening for an external voice and they took it upon themselves to be responsible. That's the point. But we always want to pass it up to this large, omnipotent, extra intelligent being that runs everything perfectly. It's you. You may not like it, but it is. And you don't even have to pay attention to it. You can go about your life and be as selfish as you want to. It's fine. But when reality comes full circle and you suffer a consequence from that, you can't blame someone else because it's all you. Right? And you can try and put off that responsibility as long as you want to. And we have now for thousands of years. We have been putting off this responsibility. And now look at where we are. It's nothing to get upset about. It's nothing to beat yourself up about because, again, we're eternal. But maybe we can roll up our sleeves and get to work. Maybe we can just stop investing in the illusion for the sake of avoiding the responsibility. And in that, start to experience some unity and some empathy, not by trying to get to it, but by not avoiding it. Amen. And in that, in that spiel by Peterson, like he's very passionate about it and he's very enthusiastic about it, but what message is he actually getting across? Like there's no progress in his message. It's just, this is something that I believe now everyone validate it. Like there, there's no or you're going to message. Exactly. Like there's no message of, you know, let's let's go beyond our idea of ourselves, you know. Even even like help our neighbor out. There's a lot of shit going on right now. Let's maybe we can do something about it. It's just, you know, God is this. God calls. If you don't understand this, if you don't recognize hell, you don't know anything. It's like all I see is him like twirling in circles, like not actually going anywhere. It's like, I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to say a bunch of words that sound good to validate this discomfort. So I feel more comfortable. And like, that's all he's doing. He's just standing there, like jerking himself off, not going anywhere, not actually saying anything of, of like, I don't, I don't want to say a value. Cause like, you know, nothing inherently has, has value, but it it's just, I guess it's all self-soothing based on his own discomfort. And so I saw that whole clip is just very selfish, very egotistical, very enthralled in his own suffering and pain. And he's just trying to say a bunch of words that sound good so that he can feel a little bit better. Like that's all I saw in that. Well, and there's a whole bunch of contradiction in terms of Peterson's actual view on life, right? Like he's saying, God is the spirit that calls on you to make sacrifice when appropriate. He's very much a capitalist. He has said straight up, he's in favor of capitalism. Where's the sacrifice? Is God not asking you to make sacrifices? What are you even talking about? And it just comes back down to no, I'm on the side of God. Look at me. I'm a moral person. It's like, no, you're telling people you're a moral person. Maybe you've even done some moral things that doesn't define you as a person. 
And it certainly doesn't mean that God has made you do those things or just because you've done those things that you're more godly than anyone else. So yeah, it's a lot of self-soothing for sure. But there's also this idea that the fact that he's done so well, the fact that he is the person that he is, is a sign that he's in God's favor. So no, he can sit up there and talk about hell and then say, you don't know what you're talking about if you don't believe in it, because he's firmly convinced himself he's not going there. So again, self-soothing. But it really is a limited mentality at the end of the day. Because if he were to do what he's talking about, it wouldn't be about him. Right? The wise prepare. Okay, great. The wise also take responsibility. The wise also have empathy. There was no empathy in that speech. It was very much righteousness at the end of the day. And that's always very self-soothing. But yeah, there was a lot in that speech that I thought I thought was really interesting, especially the bit about sacrifice. Yeah, I think that part to me, it was clear that it's like sacrifice for himself. You know, the idea that in order to become great and achieve all of these things, there there needs to be sacrifice. It's like if you're sacrificing for yourself to get something out of it, is that really sacrificing anything? Like if you're if you're helping someone with an expectation that they're going to help you in return, are you actually helping them? Like I would argue that his idea of sacrifice and the message he's trying to get across are are very different. Like he, he's pushing this message of sacrifice, but it's clearly involved in, in yourself. Like if you want to achieve things in the eyes of the world, sacrifice is necessary. It's like, yeah, no shit, but that's not actually sacrifice if it's all just for you or, or for the idea of you, for the limited egotistical idea of you. It's not really sacrifice. You're just recognizing what it takes to achieve something, achieve a goal. It's a given the take. highest possible goal. He actually said that, that you, you need to make the highest possible sacrifice to meet the highest possible goal. Yeah. What is he referencing with the highest meeting possible God, goal? Right. Meeting God's plan, doing what you're supposed to, maybe. But I think it's so interesting because he talks about sacrifice at the beginning and he says, you know, God is the spirit that calls on you to sacrifice and then calls you on it if you don't. It's like, hold on. If I'm being punished, is that a sacrifice? Like if it's under duress, is that a sacrifice? Because it sounds like I'm doing it because I don't like the alternative. That's not a sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you do something within expectation in mind like it's not actually doing the thing for the thing it's doing the thing for for the other thing and it's it's just so interesting how much that entire mentality reinforces the roots of our suffering you know having an expectation of yourself based on a made-up idea of some all-knowing higher god that sits up in the sky like it reinforces like the root of all of our suffering, being expectations of ourself based on an idea of ourself that can become more or less that can become something for the world. He's had some other clips where he talks about, you know, how, how you should become your highest self. It's it's the most noble thing to achieve and fulfill all of your potential. And it's just so clear that his entire message is rooted in 
misunderstandings and taking illusions to be the truth, thinking that you're a limited idea that could become anything more than what you are and taking that as truth. So he's settled on a pretty fucking shallow idea of what he thinks he is of God and of reality. Absolutely. Despite all of his knowledge, despite how much thinking he's done in terms of ego and duality and politics and so on and so forth, he's stuck in it. He's stuck in it. And I think it's really interesting. I think one of the most damaging and, and heartbreaking parts of this idea of God that Peterson's talking about and most Christians believe in, most religious people believe in, let's just say, um, is the fact that you're either living up to God's plan, in which case, yay God, or you're fucking up, in which case God's judging you. So if you're doing well, can't really take credit. If you're doing badly, that's on you. It's a terrible way of looking at the universe. Like the universe is somehow I don't know, an authority over you instead of an extension of you. The universe is going to punish you if you don't live up to its expectations. That is so disempowering. And it creates this idea that I have to live up to certain rules. And then along comes somebody very convincing, usually wearing a robe and a large hat who says, and I happen to know what those rules are. Just follow me. And we do, just because we're afraid of this fiction that exists only because we don't want to admit it's us. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun kind of going full circle, like the start of this conversation, how deep we went with that and then kind of pulling out and getting into such a limited idea of God that people actually cling to. And someone as intelligent, as knowledgeable as Jordan Peterson can still settle upon such a little itty bitty minuscule idea of God. And it's just interesting. It's almost like my mind's having a tough time, like getting back into that conversation that people actually settle upon such a limited idea of what this reality is, of what they are, and therefore of what God is. And it's a perfect reflection of how limited they see God is how limited they see themselves, of how limited they see themselves is how limited they see God. And as you let go more and more of that idea of yourself, like the potential that's available, that becomes available, and, and even the discussion of you know all, all potentials exist here now and all that, like there's so much to that discussion and that recognition that you can't even get into if you're clinging to a limited idea of God and a limited idea of yourself rooted in fear. You can't even touch that conversation through that because all those other ideas and beliefs and things that you cling to for this false sense of certainty and comfort have to be thrown out the window in order to even scratch the surface of that conversation. Regardless of how intelligent you might be, right? This is why I think it's really interesting that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is leaning in favor of the simulation theory. And I find that really interesting because he's a very intelligent person who has an idea of himself being human. And so the only alternative is that this is a simulation because you take the logic far enough when you start looking at the reason that they think this is possible, which is that if you take our current rate of change and you were to expand it over even the next thousand years, the technology that 
would exist would be ridiculous just ridiculous to the point where like we're already creating simulations of things if you were to give us another thousand years at this rate of change it would absolutely be possible that we'd be able to create a reality or a simulated reality that has you know as much detail as this sure that's a fairly interesting thought process that's an interesting thing to go down and it's probably true to some degree that, that that would be the case that over a thousand years that much technology would exist but i don't know necessarily that the species would allow it to get to that point because I think there would be consequences along the way, right? But the point is, is that he doesn't want to recognize that it's just him being God, but he does recognize that reality doesn't work the way that we assume it does. This is why I like that one video where he was saying about the one thing that keeps him up at night. And it's very much what we're talking about. He was saying that a photon traveling at the speed of light regardless how far it travels so it could travel a hundred light years okay that photon does not experience time because it's traveling at the speed of light so to it its origin and its destination exist at the same time it's never moved and it's because that photon exists at each and every iteration along the way of that path in different variations of the same moment that's the only way it would work out. That's the only way that the photon would be able to, ex to exist outside of time and still be moving through reality. It's not moving, we are. We're moving through reality. And it makes perfect sense when you look at it that way. But if you're thinking about yourself as a human being, you can't look at yourself as the basis for time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um... Yeah, I mean that one. I still, I don't, I don't know if I'm fully, uh, fully getting that. I think I do, but like, it's not clear. Okay. Yet. So, so let's just say, at the speed of light, there is no time, right? Because when the closer the speed of light you get, the more time slows down. So at the speed of light, time pretty much ceases to be. There is no movement. Okay. So, to the person traveling at the speed of light. Or to the thing traveling at the speed of light so let's just say that there was a photon that traveled across this screen at the speed of light and as it did so we managed to freeze frame each and every moment as it went across the screen so each one of those moments dot, 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 as it goes across the screen exists they all exist at the same time and to the photon it's in all of those places at the same time it's not moving to it so it simultaneously exists in all of those places across the screen, okay? But we see it as traveling because we see it not at the speed of light, right? Like we're slowing it down so we can process it. We're seeing the, the experience of time, right? But to it, traveling at the speed of light, there is no time. So there is no movement. So it's impossible for it to go from one side of the screen to the other because it's not experiencing time, which means that all of the places that it traveled across, so on and so forth, exist as their own stationary reality. And all we're doing is moving from one frame to the other, thinking it's moving. So it's like our perception is time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because everything is that's going back to that same conversation we were having that all potentials exist here now. And it's our perception of them relative to, you know, 
past, present, future, before and after that we have this experience. So our perception is time. The rate at which we perceive all of those events that already exist here now, the rate at which we perceive them is time. Change. Change. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. I think I'm following. Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? And this is the reason it's so much fun to have these conversations, but not so much that you get all bent out of shape and you start trying to like blow other people's minds all the time. Because again, this is uncomfortable stuff at the end of the day, because we really just want to think we're human. Right? Because we're having a human experience. Or we'll separate it. You know, I'm a spirit having a human experience. Like after I die, I'm gonna become, you know, this thing that just kind of flies away. It's like you're everything having all experiences that's all this is you know and if you were to try and visualize that it would be like you don't exist in space and time all you are is potential straight up so all of the things that could possibly exist exist within this nothingness let's just say it's not even moving around coalescing into different colors and shit it's just nothing it's nothing but everything is potentially in there and out of all of that potential occasionally you form a body and think you're in it. Yeah, I'm I'm following that. <laughs> but it's like even even just that like another idea or perception, but it's I guess mm, closer. Well, because to... you're forming all bodies, technically. I'm like occasionally you form a body, but every body you've created always exists in the here and now. So you could go through eternity creating every body that might ever exist. And guess where it exists? Here and now. Huh. Yeah, it's funny along those lines. I used to, this was years ago. Uh, I had the recognition that like this moment is the only moment that anyone's experiencing across all the entire world, across all of all of the universe is just experiencing this moment. I remember that hitting me a couple of times, just being like, hmm, that's interesting. Not recognizing like the depth of that. Cause it was still just like, I'm experiencing this and they're experiencing this. And, you know, a lot of perception, perceived division. But yeah, that, that was, I think that was one of the first recognitions of the unity is everyone having that same experiencing the same moment at all times as me that's the thing it's not everybody experiencing the same moment it's everybody is the same moment uh yeah (laughs) uh i don't i don't think i have anything else to add to that (laughs) no that's definitely a good place to wrap this up absolutely um i just want to say to our listener as always we appreciate you sitting through this as we just go through the works and see what comes out of it we do appreciate your insights. We appreciate your participation. If you haven't had a chance to join us on Twitch as yet, definitely do consider joining us for an episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. It's always a lot of fun and you can actually leave comments while we record and we try to answer questions as we go. So you can become more involved in that way. Lastly, of course, I just want to remind you the April retreat is coming up. Don't miss it. Get your tickets now. There are four left. It's going to be an incredible event. We've talked about this previously, so I won't get too much into detail. 
One more thing, we have an authentic coaching workshop and relationship building workshop coming up this weekend on the 14th and the 15th. Tickets are available on the website as well. You can pick them up now at dualisticunity.com. And that's all we've got for today. I think we deep dived quite a bit. Um, I look forward to exploring this in greater detail tomorrow on Dualistic Unity Raw and of course throughout the Patreon groups this week. Absolutely. Bye everyone.